These are Nebraska corn farmers. They work in acres, not hours, harvesting the energy and climate solutions the world needs. We are proud to stand with you. The success of tomorrow's soy industry depends on the actions we take today. The future is here, and the time to move is now. Market Journal, television for agricultural business decisions, is a presentation of the University of Nebraska-Lincoln's Institute of Agriculture and Natural Resources. Promotional support is provided by the Nebraska Farmer Magazine. Partial funding is provided by the Nebraska Soybean Board and the Nebraska Corn Board. Well, thanks so much for joining us today on Market Journal. I'm Bryce Duskett. Sure, hope you had an enjoyable Thanksgiving. Perhaps you're one of those that might wait till the weekend to celebrate. Either way, our entire Market Journal team wishes you some warm greetings this holiday season. We join you from Kansas City, Missouri, as that was the site of this year's NAFP, or National Association of Farm Broadcasting Convention, their 80th gathering. During this year's show, we had the chance to visit with many of the agriculture groups here on location. So we bring you some of the special reports with our coverage. We begin today with a look at land values in 2023 and look ahead what might be in store in the new year. Well, as 2023 begins to wrap up, we have the chance a little bit to look back on the year and certainly one of the storylines that developed was the price of ag land. That's something we've talked about for several years now. So joining us to discuss that is Randy Dickert. He's a farmland analyst with Agricultural Economic Insights. Randy, it's good to see you and good to have somebody discuss this topic with us. You told me it was a little surprising as land values uh, come in here in 2023. Why do you say that? I, I think it is because as we entered 2023, you know, the land market had, had made another bump up, strong prices. But we were looking at a uh, challenge of higher input costs, lower you know, farm profits, and higher interest rates. And in the general economy, everybody thought that was going to slow the, the uh, whole economy down, and therefore it would affect agriculture also and, and uh, change the cap rate outlook for farmland. Well, it really didn't. Um, you know, farmland stayed steady in most cases, uh, went up higher. There probably weren't many new records, but there were still very strong prices at auctions. And what we've seen this fall and gosh, over the summer too, are still strong bidding for, for land. Maybe not as many bidders, but they're still bidding on that as farmers have some left or cash stored up from the previous years. and. When that farm comes up for sale, which is once and only every three or four generations, they're going to bid up to get it. A lot of times we see the headlines come out when it comes to the, the record land price mm -hmm. in this state yeah. or, or that state. As you look at that, you know, factoring that in, but also just the broader picture as you, you laid out there, just steady increases that we saw in 2023, is that, that generally the theme? Well, yeah, in 2023, we saw some increases in places, uh, but they were smaller. You know, they weren't to double digits. They were single digits and in some places was flat. 
for instance, some of the latest statistics from Iowa show uh, just a very slight decline over the past quarter. Uh, but that's hard to tell. But I think the bidding has been strong here. We have seen some of those new records, but um, like North Dakota and stuff. Uh, but I think there's, there's still you know, interest in that long term. But I think uh, we're going to come to the point those higher interest rates and expectations, lower commodity prices are going to be a challenge to maintaining that upward movement. Certainly over the past several months, there's been an increased focus on who is buying mm -hmm. land in the United States. A lot of congressional hearings at the national level, but also states are trying to put a, a special emphasis on that particular concern about Chinese ownership. You bring up, though, a lot of times when you go to the local auctions, it's farmer versus farmer trying to see yeah. who can buy the neighboring land. Is there any data you, you can track to see who's buying yeah. ag land, or is that just one of those things that's tough to nail down? Well, um, not everybody keeps that true statistic, uh, but if you, uh, the sources I've seen in some different states, you know, farmers buy 60 to 80% of what comes up for sale, especially at land auctions, because your investment funds, uh, some of the institutional buyers typically don't buy in those situations because they're too competitive and the prices go higher. So uh, farmers, your local investor, you know, person in town that already owns some farm or farms and wants to buy some more will invest and you've got outside investor individuals and then in the states where they can you do have institutional the pension funds now there's some new uh, uh, vehicles where individuals who don't have to put up three million dollars to buy a quarter section can put up a much smaller amount and buy a portion of a farm in an entity so those are kind of three main ones um, you know your foreign ownership is really concentrated in timber ranch land sometimes, uh, energy um, markets and stuff, uh, but it is a concern in places to, to watch and, and learn more about. It's hard to believe we're going to start talking about 2023 in the rearview mirror, but as we do that, let's look forward a little bit to 2024. You kind of teed up the conversation. We're facing lower commodity prices than what we have experienced uh, over the past year or two. You factor that in with the outside pressures of the market. What are you anticipating? when it comes to ag land values? I believe that those you know, higher interest rates as uh, loans roll over from the, you know, the set rates, uh, even though a lot of, you know, if a farmer, uh, investor has a, a mortgage on some farmland, they've blocked in at some very low rates for a long time. And they're gonna hold those, so it won't affect. But as we move on, there's going to be the need to borrow little more funds because you know when they're paying like I said three million dollars for a quarter section in parts of the country that's a lot of a lot of money and there'll be some more borrowed funds so that higher interest rates will start to kick in and the numbers don't look as good when you're with those higher interest rates and making payments uh, cap rate expectations you know you want to earn 2% from your land or gosh I can invest it in a CD at 5% or or some other market. So I think all that starts to pull back some of the demand on land. Um, but the flip side is there's been a lower supply for sale. And uh, so everybody's chasing that good farm that comes up for sale. And that's what's held it up. Will it continue will be the real question. But I think there's some real headwinds that, you know, don't expect land values to, to drop, but I think they'll, again, stay steady, soften somewhat. 
and especially for lower quality in those places. I appreciate the overview and for you joining us here at the NAFB convention. Randy, we appreciate that. I want to remind our viewers today that the University of Nebraska, they publish a lot of resources when it comes to land values, specifically in the state of Nebraska. If you'd like to view those, head on over to cropwatch.unl.edu. We talked about rising land values. Now let's talk about the price of food. Of course, a lot of people celebrated Thanksgiving this past Thursday. More celebrations still to come this weekend. And as you were shopping, you might have noticed prices slightly lower than they were last year. At least that's according to the folks at the American Farm Bureau as they track that year to year. Joining us here at NAFB is Joby uh, Young. He's the Executive Vice President for the American Farm Bureau Federation. Prices a little bit down this year, but man, they are still higher as we look at historical data, right? Yeah, that's right. And American Farm Bureau has been doing this uh, informal survey survey for 38 years and uh, while down a little bit from last year still the second highest year on record so uh, four and a half percent reduction from last year but just in recent years we see it's still 25 percent above, above 2019 so you know I think that shows what a lot of people are actually seeing themselves when they go out there and they've been up and down the grocery aisles that the food uh, has still uh, ha- had inflationary pressure uh, the last couple years here, and uh, and they're still seeing that. You know, when we look at the individual pieces of that, of course, our our voluntary shoppers that go out, we had uh, shoppers, 200 something shoppers in every single state, and they uh, they're able to go see uh, what, what things cost. And the biggest piece of that uh, uh, total is is a turkey. And uh, so it, I think most folks, you can see that it, with the avian influence and some of those other things moving out. Uh, the turkey price has fallen a little bit, but other things still add elevated prices. You survey a lot of different items, and you publish a, a neat survey that's available online to go see, you know, each year how those track. As you looked at that report this year, any surprises or things that uh, caught you, by, you know, off guard a little bit? Well, some, you know, some interesting insights, I think, come out of that that are, you know, anecdotal uh, examples. And, and so, you know, one thing caught my eye was, some of the uh, bread products, like a, like dinner rolls, you know, those are still up quite a little bit. Where you know, if you follow commodity prices, you see wheat prices down. So we we think that might be you know something that worth mentioning that it shows that uh, for a consumer, uh, a higher price at in the grocery aisle or at a restaurant doesn't necessarily translate to higher prices for a farmer because they take a smaller uh, a, a, a small portion of that food dollar. And so packaging and distribution and labor throughout the rest of the food supply can contribute to that. So I think that's a that's an interesting insight for sure. And um, you know, there's there's a. Uh, uh, Th- things across the survey, as I mentioned, the the, the price of turkey falling and and how uh, how big of a part that plays in, in the Thanksgiving meal. There's differences across regions. You're going to pay the most for a Thanksgiving meal in the Northeast and in the West, probably the le- the late least in the Midwest. So when uh, when you think of our, our our non-ag uh, folks that live on the coasts, uh, it, I think it really drives home for them how important having a sound uh, farm and food policy is because they're going to see it in their grocery uh, cart. To that point, we've got an extension on the farm bill. Looks like uh, 2024 is going to be the year. Maybe lawmakers are going to be able to take that up and perhaps, uh, of course, all the ag groups, we want that to be passed. Your thoughts uh, from the American Farm Bureau Federation's perspective on the farm bill and its uh, outlook on passage? Well, the results of this survey, just one more uh, indication of why we need a new five-year farm bill. A lot's changed, a lot in food inflation and inputs costs and and, 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 and other economic uh, things that have happened in the last five years. So we need a new farm bill. We did get an uh, extension passed through both houses, hopefully soon to be signed uh, 
by President Biden. So you get a little relief for a moment there, but uh, a new five-year bill is what we really need. And we'll continue to push for that as we as we move into the new year as soon as possible. What else is on the uh, the minds of the American Farm Bureau Federation? Well, a lot going on at at, uh, at any time on Capitol Hill and in the conversation. So uh, we we continue to focus on uh, making sure that whether it's a farm bill or whether it's regulatory issues or or, or whatever that might be, that we're uh, we're continuing to tell the story of America's farmers and ranchers. Farmers and ranchers make up two percent of the American population. We got to keep talking that other ninety-eight percent and show them how important uh, all these issues are. Well, Joby, thanks for sitting down with us here at the NAFB convention. And back on the survey, if you're interested in seeing the price of that Thanksgiving meal, head on over to their website, the American Farm Bureau Federations. It is fb.org. Well, one of the neat things we get to do while traveling to events like NAFB's convention is visit with the producers that are joining uh, the organizations here. And from the U.S. Custom Harvesters, we're visiting now with Mark Anderson, board member with the group, also from Bridgeport, Nebraska, custom forage operator. Tell me a bit about yourself and your operation, Mark. I'm Mark Anderson from Bridgeport, Nebraska. I run uh, Anderson Harvesting, uh, custom forage harvesting business that I started in 2009. And um, serving here as a board member of the U.S. Custom Harvesters, here to talk about um, our issues that we're seeing, and promote our organization, and uh, promote our convention coming up in uh, January. Talk about some of the issues you guys face, unique challenges for U.S. Custom Harvesters in a second, but tell me about the geographic area you uh, get a harvest. So I harvest in uh, western Nebraska from North Platte back west all the way up into Scottsbluff County, uh, some of the prettiest parts of our state. Not biased at all when you no, say that. No, not biased at all. <laughs> how, were, how were the crops this year, your neck of the woods? Uh, if you missed the hail, they were pretty good. We were really good, but we had a lot of devastating hail come through our area uh, early. But other than that, you know, good. We had plenty of good rain this spring and uh, throughout the summer, that was good. How challenging is that year to year for yourself and your unique business structure where you're reliant, of course, on Mother Nature, but you've got some of those events that can really change uh, the acres that you're harvesting. Oh, it's, um, it can make or break you in, about, in you know, a couple of matter of hours. It's, uh, it's incredible. The biggest factor we cannot control can, is the weather and you know, we're at its mercy. And visiting with uh, your fellow board members in pasture seems like when key issues work, the workforce and H-2A program are things that you guys are highlighting. I assume that's got to be similar this year. Yes, labor is our number one issue, just like everybody else's. And um, so we are, that is one of our focuses as an organization. And uh, so a lot of our members use the H-2A program, which is a foreign labor program. And we're having to work through some issues created by the government. Um, for that program so, you know, so that we can maintain the workforce to be able to harvest the crops and feed the world. I have to assume you've got a team in DC working on those issues for you. That's gotta be, a little, gotta yeah. be helpful a little bit, right? Yeah, yeah. I was part of that team in March. We were traveling around meeting with uh, representatives and organizations in there to you know, talk about our issues. When it comes to uh, somebody who might be interested, I'm sharing with you, my brother was on a, a custom harvesting crew. If any of our viewers today know somebody who might be interested in getting on a, a custom harvesting crew, what's the process? How do, how do you even get started there? So I would send them to our website, uschi.com. They can fill out an application or find a crew that's looking for help there. And I'd encourage them to do it. It's, it would be, it's a great experience. Got an upcoming convention in Oklahoma City this year. Absolutely, January 25th, 26th, and 27th in Oklahoma City at that brand new uh, convention center just south of downtown. Really pretty facility, really excited to be there. We appreciate you joining us here at the NAFB convention to talk about uh, the work you and your group do. Again, if you'd like to learn more about the organization, the best website to do so is USCHI.com. 
Well, let's take a brief pause from our coverage of the NAFB convention to tell you what's coming up when it comes to the Nebraska Farmer Magazine. For more than a century, sugar beets have been an important crop in western Nebraska. Michelle Enroca is an agriculturist with the Western Sugar Cooperative, and she farms with her husband near Scott's Bluff, raising dry edible beans, corn, and sugar beets. She knows the challenges and rewards of raising this sweet crop of the panhandle, and she shares her insights with readers in the November issue of The Nebraska Farmer. Well, up next, let's check in with one of my colleagues. Clay Patton is standing by with this week's Market Conversation with Mike Zuzalo. Well, thank you very much, Bryce. As it's, I'm excited to be joined now with Mike Zuzalo, Global Commodity Analytics. And Mike, we're looking late 2023, early 2024 markets. I start here in the grain complex. It's been a little shaky with USDA data really showing an aggressive U.S. production once again this year, despite a little bit of a challenging growing season. But where our harvest is basically in the bins, I'm keeping an eye to South America right now. Weather has definitely been an issue there in West Central Brazil. They've been extremely dry. Do you see that playing out into the first quarter of 2024 as well? Yeah, I really do. You know, Clay, it's one of those markets kind of similar to last year at this time when it comes to South America. Although I will say I don't remember a time since I've been doing this that we've had such extremes in northern Brazil being such exceptionally drought, already 100 plus degree temperatures, which would be in early summer down there right now, versus southern Brazil, which is dealing with so much wet weather that it's actually probably backing up the port of Paranagua right now with vessels. And that doesn't look to end anytime soon. And so I do think that as we go into the holiday season especially, that South American weather probably will play a bigger role than normal, similar I think to maybe last year. And I think it's gonna add a lot of extra volatility on what maybe would be more of a quiet time period, especially for the smaller trader or the institutional investor. So there's going to be a lot of eyes kind of watching as we go out and flip the calendar what's happening in South America. Logistically, though, you were talking about it. I know we were struggling with some lower Amazon rivers earlier in the year. Is that southern moisture helping that, or are they still facing logistical challenges getting what was a big crop last year out into the world market? Yeah, from what I can tell right now, it, it seems as though the Mississippi River situation south of Memphis is very similar to what Brazil is dealing with in terms of a north-south river congestion issue. And I think the flooding issues are probably creating issues with uh, road problems, uh, problems with getting trucks through the, uh, the, the Amazon forest uh, because of washouts and landslides and things like that. Um, producers in that southern part of the country, some are saying they're gonna replant as much as 30% of their soybeans at this point. And that's gonna be really tough to get a good yield off of. It's possible, but I think after the Thanksgiving holiday, if we're still dealing with these kind of issues, I think the trade will start to clip and start cutting back that production number. I suspect the trade's still sitting around a 160, 160 million metric ton bean crop for Brazil right now. Let's talk about uh, the crop here in the U.S. though. USDA data indicates that really we have most of it in the bin at this point coming late into the year. With that, are you seeing any moves in the cash market that would indicate is the farmer shutting the door on the bin or are they still letting some out into this cash market right now? Farmer shutting the door in the bin, but he also probably has a little bit more than he expected. So he probably is letting some out in the last month, but I would suspect going into the holidays, he's gonna be pretty tight holder. One thing that I am keeping a track of is the central corn belt. You know, the Mississippi River I talked about and it losing a lot of its uh, uh, river levels as we go into the holidays. 
Um, but the, the central Illinois cash basis is starting to really perk up pretty dramatically. And eastern Corn Belt farmers in some areas are telling me they've got too high a moisture. They're going to lose probably some of their yield through a lighter test weight. So these are a couple things I'll be watching going into the new year and that January crop report. Let's talk about the holidays as well from a trader's perspective, Thanksgiving, Christmas. It can be a lull time in the business world. Do you see that as a lull this year for traders or are they gonna be actively still engaged in the market throughout the end of the year? I think we're gonna be very active because there's just too much at stake with the price of beans right now. I'm in the red zone for selling more of my 23 soybeans for clients and starting on 2024, I don't wanna lose this $13 plus level. And I want to take advantage of the South American weather because we've been dealing with weather for in supply for the last three years, Clay. We can't seem to get the demand side on our side. And I think that's because of the Fed and because of the US-China policy. So let's go ahead and take that 30,000 foot view here, that macro market picture. You're talking about the Fed. We finally have seen inflationary data really slow down here in the last part of the fourth quarter. Is that a concern and will the Fed have to capitulate in 2024 or can Powell continue to be hawkish and want to hold at least hold interest rates where they're at? I think that's where I'm at. He's on a long pause right now, but I don't think we're cutting anytime soon. But I think that's enough for the market to say at least the Fed is not trying to work against the hard assets and against the commodity sector. Now, when we talk about US-China relations, is there any logistical issues that South America is having that kind of forces China's hand to come here to the US, or are they finally filled enough in those uh, stockpiles, those state-held stockpiles, that uh, they don't have to come to the US if they don't want to? Yeah, that's a tough question. I think they bought what they want for right now, but I'm also hearing from some sources that they're really adding to their large hog production. They're building buildings right now and putting fresh sows down right now. I don't know how much of that is going on in the country, but it's something to really watch. There's a lot continuing to go on. What are gonna be the key sectors that you're gonna watch in 2024? Maybe if we look back to say 2020 was the inflation year, a nice boost in commodity prices. Any themes or anything that you're gonna be watching for in 2024? I think clients that I work with have really appreciated the fact that the Bloomberg Commodity Grain Index against the two-year treasury yield has almost a negative 100% relationship right now if you look at it over a two or three month basis. That negative relationship is because the money is not sitting where it needs to be and that's in commodities and in grains. And so we need the bond yields to break, I think, Clay, and that's the big thing for me in 2024. We need the investment flows to come back in and get us off this weather supply-led rally track. All right, Clay, we appreciate that conversation with Mike. Joining us now for our Crop Talk discussion is Greg Anderson. He is a farmer from Newman Grove, Nebraska, also involved in various organizations to help promote soybeans at the national level. Greg, here on the program, we talk a lot about growing soybeans and that process, but uh, as you and I had this conversation today, it's it's the next step. What comes next? And biodiesel was the, the term we heard for a long time. The biodiesel board has a new name and you're here representing that board. What's, what's the group called now? Yeah, Clean Fuels Alliance America, which truly represents uh, who we represent. Uh, we are no longer just biodiesel. We're also renewable diesel and sustainable aviation fuel. So uh, with that, we're, we're looking ahead decades to come. What, what name can serve us well? And, and uh, certainly clean fuels is, is all uh, of those three, three fuels, the things that they contribute to clean up our air, reduce carbon, and also uh, propel our nation's fuel supply. Well, things have uh, gotten, I'll say, a little bit complicated. I feel like they happen quickly in in this space when it goes comes to biodiesel. Now the term renewable diesel out there. What matters? What should our viewers know today? 
Yeah, biodiesel is generally blended with petroleum diesel. It goes through a process called transesterification. It's removing the glycerin out and uh, then processing it into making it a fuel that can be blended with petroleum. Renewable diesel is a whole different chemical process. It's uh, not uh, any shape or way formed with uh, the biodiesel process. It's used with hydrogen and usually uh, plants have much more uh, gallons production that come out of that and most of the renewable diesel production is found uh, in the Gulf states. And so uh, with that, uh, the same agricultural feedstock though is being used, soybean oil primarily. We're seeing uh, much growth with uh, soybean oil and just with the new crushing plants that are coming across the country. Let's build on your point about the crushing facilities because the dynamics are changing. As you look, you know, 10, 15 years down the road, it seems like we might be exporting less whole beans and trying to process that uh, particularly in Nebraska, got a couple plants coming on here in the next couple of years, don't we? Well, that's that's very correct. And, you know, we think about the uh, two plants coming for, in Nebraska, for example, uh, being online in 2024 and then early 2025. That will command one-fourth of Nebraska's soybeans right there. And so the uh, paradigm has shifted. We're going to be exporting less whole beans. We're going to keep the value here at home. We're going to uh, crush those beans, use the oil for renewable diesel, use the meal to either export the meal, which is a value-added product, or else also expand our domestic livestock production. So uh, with that, some 20 new uh, crushing facilities or expansion of those in across 10 different states are, are going to uh, be online within the next two or three years. That's gonna increase our domestic crush by a third. It's going to propel uh, this market even further uh, to bigger volumes of renewable diesel and biodiesel. And we're seeing a really the base is going to improve with crushing plants uh, close by. We're going to see more demand uh, for soybeans, certainly. And uh, it's a good thing for Nebraska soybean farmers as well as soybean farmers all across the country. Do you think producers will end up planting more soybeans as a result of some of this expansion we're seeing? I'm certainly uh, thinking that that could be the case in certain areas where uh, they can feel confident going uh, soybeans on soybeans. And uh, if they don't have uh, problems with white mold or sudden death syndrome, some of the other things that factor into that. Most farmers, are, as you know, are on a 50-50 rotation. However, if the market is uh, screaming for soybeans like it will, and so the basis levels are strong, and, and uh, we can deliver soybeans to a soybean crushing plant just a few miles down the road that are paying a very competitive bid, I, certainly that has the attention of, of all farmers. Out of everything you talked about today, what excites you the most, Greg? Probably the fact that we're now using over a billion pounds of soybean oil per month in the production of renewable diesel and biodiesel. That was just a pipe dream years ago, and we're seeing that uh, market explode. We're seeing in California now, over 60% of the diesel pool is either renewable diesel or biodiesel. That's just phenomenal. We're seeing a growth in the Northeastern states for bioheat, which is biodiesel blended with uh, heating oil to uh, serve millions of homes for clean, efficient uh, uh, heat that uh, is renewable, that uh, has less carbon reduction, you know, less carbon, less particulate emissions, all of that. Carbon reduction is really driving this market both on, on both coasts. We're in the middle. We have the agricultural uh, feedstocks to feed those markets and, uh, and keep uh, the soybean business a good business to be in for the, our nation's farmers. People want to learn more about some of the exciting developments. They don't have the chance to see all the presentations you do on the national level, but what's the best way to keep up? Uh, one of the websites, fantastic. Go to cleanfuels.org, uh, simple, cleanfuels.org. There's an abundance of stories on there. They can answer uh, technical questions that people might have, uh, as well as a lot of uh, stories of where this fuel is being used and where it will be used in the future. Greg Anderson and our guest here for our special edition of Crop Talk.
Well, that is going to do it for this week's show and our NAFB convention coverage. Sure appreciate you joining us this week. I want to remind you, if you're interested in watching more of our Market Journal episodes and behind-the-scenes content, you can do that by subscribing to Market Journal on YouTube and, of course, by following along during the week on social media. Coming up next week, we'll be back in the studio. Hope you'll join us then. But until then, I'm Bryce Duskett, wishing you a safe and productive week. Join Market Journal online at marketjournal.unl.edu. You can also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Promotional support is provided by the Nebraska Farmer Magazine. Market Journal is produced by the University of Nebraska-Lincoln's Institute of Agriculture and Natural Resources.